episode 28. Quarantine. Original air date, 12th of March, 1992. Hello and welcome to ScutterCast 28. This week I'm joined by Anthony. Hello. And Andy. Hello. We'll be reviewing the episode Quarantine after a quick synopsis read by Anthony. The crew answer a distressed call from the hologrammatic Dr. Landstrom. Rimmer is dispatched back to Red Dwarf, much to his disgust, so that the crew can bring Dr. Landstrom back. However, they discover that she has contracted a hollow virus and is barking mad. The crew escape, taking with them the viruses Dr. Landstrom had discovered, including a luck virus. Meanwhile, back on Red Dwarf, Rimmer has been boning up on Space Corps directives and slaps the others into quarantine for three months. After five days, they've nearly killed each other. But when they ask to be released, as per directives, they find Rimmer has contracted the Volovirus. He sentences them to two hours W-O-O, without oxygen. They use the Luck virus to escape and to defeat Rimmer and his co-conspirator, Mr. Flibble. Thank you very much, Anthony. And again, thank you very much, Smeek Heed, for writing that synopsis. Okay, and just before we start the episode, Anthony's just got a few things to mention. Yeah, um, according to Wikipedia, um, this is the first episode that we've actually come across that was exclusively directed by Rob Grant and Doug Naylor. Okay. Um, Juliet May was brought in as director for this series. And apparently she found it difficult to work with sci-fi. I've read somewhere that Rob and Doug wanted to start with filming with the Inquisitor, but she couldn't get her head around it. And so she um, she didn't film Inquisitor first. And she she was just struggling with the sci-fi concepts. Right. Um, Now, according to Wiki, uh, she left of her own accord. But um, I've also read on the DVD inlay card that Rob and Doug let her go. And oh, okay. there's, one, there's, there's one site that even suggests that she was brought in deliberately to struggle so that Rob and Doug could take over the directing task. Um, yeah. I mean, okay. seems it seems a bit severe, that. But, um, yeah, the, it just uh, different sources of all, uh, you know, a bit of contention. But, um, yeah, the, the outcome is basically, I think it's two episodes that Rob and Grub... Uh, Rob and Grub? <laughs> Rob Grant <laughs> and Doug Naylor did exclusively themselves. And this is the first of those two. Right, excellent. The first scene starts, and you've got a very snowy-type moon base. Um, very similar to the one, the um, Io Dome. Yes. And yeah. you see Starbug coming into land. If you look closely, it doesn't actually land. It sort of comes down and hovers a few inches above the ground. Right, okay. It looks like it hangs over the back, doesn't it? But uh, do you not see the jets blowing down? They look pretty good. Yeah, yes. the effect, yeah. yeah. Crichton suggests that they should launch Scouter. Rimmer, for some reason, just gets a bit jumped up and he says that he's in charge of security and surveillance aboard this vessel and he should say launch Scouter. And I was thinking, well, when's he been promoted? Well, exactly. <laughs> everybody, well, when I say everybody, the the cat and Lister just kind of just totally blank him, pretending he's not even there. And then as soon as he goes sulking off into the cargo bay, Crichton says, um, would you would you mind awfully launching the scout? And they're like, yes, sir, yes, sir. Scouts are launched. <laughs> it's how eager the cat is when he says it. Yeah, it just... <laughs> salutes him the works. <laughs> the scout finds a research facility with one survivor, and it's the Dr. 
Hildegard Langstrom. This scouter, you know, when it's launched, it reminds me of um, in Empire Strikes Back. You the know, little that drone Imperial thing, yeah. Probe thing. It, I think it's classed as a droid, but I've, I've wrote it down as Imperial Probe. But yeah, yeah it just reminded <laughs> me of that for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I think it, uh, especially with the snowy Hoth-like area as well. It might be that that's, that did it more, yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, an, another Star Wars reference. That's that's two in two weeks. <laughs> well, I find them everywhere, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, to find out that the Doctor Hildegard Langstrom, she's a hologram. So to bring her back, uh, they need to switch off Rimmer. But I was under the impression that they were able to sustain more than one hologram. Uh, I think even Rimmer mentions on this. He says um, the Crimson Short One, Red Dwarf, can only sustain one hologram. But Again, we had the whole episode of Me Squared, and I, I know we bring it up quite often, but surely they can have them both running, or even if it's just on, like, job share, you know what I mean? They don't need to sleep. They'll they'll make their minds up one day where they actually stand with this, because <laughs> there's been two holograms on board at various times. And, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, makes me, I mean, they refer to Rim as, um, they say we need to use your remote projection unit. Yeah. Uh, and I'm assuming the mean is light be. But well, then he actually gets into the uh, pod and goes back to Red Dwarf. So if he's got into the physically got into the pod, he's took the light be with him. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, I don't know what this remote projection unit is that they're talking about. I don't know, because we've had everything, haven't we? We've had like a hollow cage and we've had, we've had him projected as a hologram and you've got the little projection unit like in Me Squared. Um, I don't know. It seems they just keep shifting the goalposts of what a hologram is. We know it's a holographic unit, a person generated out of light, but how they're generated just seems to keep changing week on week. Mm. Hmm. I'm confused about this one, though. They, uh, they want to turn off Rimmer to allow them to bring back a Doctor because the Doctor's going to be useful for the ship. Yeah. But surely surely there was Doctors on the sh- on the Red Dwarf itself anyway. They could just boot one of them up. Yeah, and also, what what good is a holographic um, a holographic Do- Doctor going to be able to do? It's not going to be able to prolong an operation or anything. You you ask Captain Janeway what good. Well, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I take that back. But, it, well, the, the Doc in Voyager is um, he's hard light, isn't he? <laughs> yes, he is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Rimmer obviously doesn't want to be switched off. And Crichton does the Crichton thing and, and quotes the Space Corps directives and explains that somebody more beneficial to the crew should be switched on and anybody like Rimmer should be switched off because they can only sustain one. Rimmer's then complaining. He says, well, has anybody actually seen this Space Corps directives book um, or is he just making it up? And then <laughs> Rimmer's... It, it, do, it does always seem to be against Rimmer, don't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so Holly just magic ones in into his hand and... Sends him on his way with it. Like a pamphlet, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's. I was shocked at that. All these space god directives and the numbers and everything. You would have expected we're talking something of biblical proportions, you know what I mean? Like massive thick book. <laughs> but it is, it's like an in-flight magazine. It's that small. <laughs> the next scene starts and the crew are on the base looking for the doctor. They find a sign saying, Viral Research Department. And then they rub off a little bit more and it says, most gross danger. <laughs> and then they rub a little bit more off. And it says, bio suits must be worn at all times. <laughs> and the little 
uh, diagrams of men with blood spitting out of them. Yeah, it looks like an alien attack or something. <laughs> and they all just hold it. You've got a cat and uh, Lister are holding handkerchiefs to the mouth. Yeah. Like that's going to protect him. Yeah. Um, well, I got to laugh because he, he get, uh, Crichton obviously gets a size scan out to scan for any viruses. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, realises it's not working properly and gives it a couple of taps. Um, well, this size scan, it's very different to the backwards version of size scan. Yeah. And uh, on the commentary, they suggest that it's actually made from a sandwich toaster. And I don't know how true that is, but yeah, it's actually, uh, it, you know, according to the commentary, a sandwich toaster. Oh, right. It's part, part of the components. It does look a bit like one. It looks um, like um, one of the old um, joysticks. Yes, it looks like it's got one of them stuck on top. Yeah. In fact, they probably use no glue. They probably just lick the sucker pads. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but you know, you might notice again that they're um, they're shooting at the Sudbury Power Station. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, you know, how uh, Doctor Who fans will go on shoot location tours. Yeah, you know, uh, such and such episode was filmed in this quarry, and uh, this pub on uh, the Thames was used in so and so adventure, and so on and so forth. I'm just thinking, how easy would a Red Dwarf um, location shoot be? <laughs> just one power yeah, but, station. Well. You've got Sudbury Pumping Station, nip across to uh, Rill, and then I think it's Manchester, uh, the, the hotel in Manchester, the Holiday Inn. Yeah, yeah. I think that's about it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody notice in this episode that the cab broken, like seems to wobble about a bit? It's more like a handheld guy walking about with it than it normally is. Now, they, they started doing this in, uh, is it Marooned? Yeah. Where they start to do it to give it more of a claustrophobic feel. Um, if I remember yeah. rightly, uh, I know we mentioned it at the time, um, but yeah, after that, the, it seems to be a method they use. I, I didn't notice it being particularly bad on this one, but I know they used it in Maroon to give more of a claustrophobic feel. I wonder if that's why they started using it a bit more maybe in this episode. Oh yeah, that would you know, make sense. Maybe make it a bit darker, a bit scarier, and then you've got the quarantine room, you want to make it feel a bit more closed in and claustrophobic, whether whether it was intentional and for that reason. Yeah, possibly. Because there's actually like a, and I don't think, I think it's a bit later on, where a list actually walks towards the camera, but to the, like say you're looking at the screen to the left, it does look really odd, like the cameraman's trying to take a, a couple of steps back really quickly. You just couldn't, couldn't catch, you know, catch him up. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never, never seen that. Like. Hmm. As walking down the corridor, Crichton finds... Something he, he just finds these bottles and seems to know what they are, and pockets a few before they carry on walking. Well, do you see, this is something I noticed. Um, he finds this case on the shelf, yeah. And before he's even opened it, looked at it, it's covered in dust, it's been sat there god knows how many million years. He just finds this case and he goes, Oh, extraordinary! Yeah, as yeah. if he's found most amazing, you know, as if he's dug up treasure. Uh, well, he so, has. yeah, he's not, he's, he's not opened it or looked inside the box. Um, yeah, he seems to know it's a good find before he's even opened it. Maybe then, obviously once he does open it, then that's you know different again. You can see what he's got, but yeah, before that, it just seems to be a psychic, um, as if he's read a couple of pages on in the script. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Lister triggers a pod and out pops um, Langstrom, and obviously she's a hologram. Yeah, and I mean the first thing I noticed here is uh, the trench coat that we mentioned last week. Uh, Lister's in it again here. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I've never ever noticed this long trench leather trench coat that he's got up until 
last week, you know, last week, sorry, last fortnight, um, the last episode. Yeah. Well, I mean, we did uh, mention last week, uh, sorry, again, <laughs> we did mention on the last episode that just because I didn't recognise it doesn't mean it wasn't in every single episode, which it looks like we're proving that now. Yeah, yeah, it's looking that way. I think it's just because it is so similar to his normal jacket. Um, I, I've just never paid attention when I've just been watching the episodes. I think it's even got the Wilma Flintstone sat on the rocket on the back, hasn't it? <laughs> um, yes, I think so, Auntie. She's she's a hologram, but she basically sits up. Uh, well, as you mentioned, she sits up and she's got red flashing eyes. I know she was in a stasis pod, but if she's a hologram, then she's reserving runtime as opposed to reserving you know, being, I suppose. So being in just a stasis pod isn't really going to help at all, is it? Or is it? Uh, sorry, I, I don't have a stasis pod. I'm not sure how they work. But I would assume that that's only for, like, living flesh. Yeah, I got that, that sense. I thought, that, uh, like, holograms can live forever, can't they, off the ship's power? Yeah. So she should... I don't can't see why she has to go into a stasis pod unless, uh, I don't know, unless that's a virus has got to keep itself in stasis, you know? Yeah, yeah, possibly. Well, if you think to the start of Series 6, you've got the um, uh, Lister comes out of um, stasis. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's not proper stasis because his, his hair and his toe, you know, his hair's grown and his toe and fingernails are grown. Yeah. Uh, but Rimmer hasn't gone into stasis. Rimmer's been switched off. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Anyway, as she's sat up and these red glowing eyes, she fires well, what looks like like lightning bolts, like lasers out of her eyes. And obviously they leg it. When I was making the notes for this and the previous couple of episodes, uh, I've come to a conclusion on Red Dwarf episodes. Essentially, Crichton explains everything and they run around a lot. <laughs> well, this, this is actually one of the reasons I think um, Hattie... Um, Gets a not a raw deal from the fans. Uh, I seem to I get the impression that Norman Norman's Holly yeah. is better thought of than Hattie's Holly by some. Yeah, yeah. And the reason I think for that, the main reason is because Crichton came in and he became the uh, exposition guy. He became the guy that tells you what's going off, what the situation is. Yeah, which yeah. was always Holly's job. That's right. Yeah. And so um, Hattie's Holly, uh, she does a wonderful job, fantastic job. Unfortunately, it's a bit of a redundant position once Crichton joins the uh, crew. Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I totally agree with you. Plus the other Holly could get around. He had his little bug. You don't see Hattie in the, uh, in the, the bug, do you? No. That, oh, well, the, often. the little, um, I think we described it, the, the school... Um, trolley. <laughs> yeah, School computer true. trolley. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one, that. It's, it's a shame because I do think, um, it, when we've, when we've done surveys on the, uh, on the forum in the past, uh, more people seem to vote for Norman and me personally, I'd, I've always preferred Hattie. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, Dr. Landstrom, as she sits up in this uh, from the stasis pod, yeah, she says the line, "Life without pain has no meaning." Yeah, and if you look, Crichton replies in the background. You see his mouth moving. He replies with a line, but there's no audio. Oh, okay. <laughs> so there's basically there's about it's about it's a it's split second, maybe as much as two seconds of Crichton's mouth silently moving in answer to "Life without pain has no meaning." And it's obviously uh, where the scene's been cut down. And they right, took okay. Crichton's audio out. 
Oh, okay. I didn't notice that. But I'll have a look yeah, next time I watch it. It's it's when you know about it, it's a blatant one, you know. Right, okay. An, an obvious one, yeah. Cool. The next scene starts and you've got Rimmer in Starbug and he's complaining to Holly about Cry and <laughs> complaining how he's changed because obviously Rimmer doesn't want to be switched off so he's just become very narky and you can tell the look on um, Holly's face that she just doesn't care. <laughs> well, this is back to what I was saying about Hattie's acting yeah. uh, on screen. Uh, if you look at her acting in this scene, it's hard to believe that she's actually sat elsewhere just staring into a camera. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, not actually, not actually there in front of Rimmer, responding to him through a, you know, through a glass screen, you know, yeah, glass window. Because yeah. yeah, she seems to be looking straight at him, rolling her eyes, looking around, and she, she, she can tell she's just absolutely fed up with Rimmer's complaining. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's it's fantastic, uh, Holly acting. Um, so yeah, it just reinforces what I was saying a second ago. Yeah. Lister and Crichton radio in, and they tell Rimmer about Langstrom. For me, this was um, that very similar scene in Back to Earth, you know, when they, they find, um, not the despair squid, but, you know, the, the Leviathan. And yeah. they're saying, oh, Rimmer, quick, you got to go back, blah, 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 blah. And he would just sat there giving, what? Um, no, sorry, and just looking after himself. This must be where they got the scene from, because it was just a little bit too similar for me. Yeah, except he's not reading classic car. Yeah, and... but the, the, the scene is played out... <laughs> No, yeah, but the scene yeah, is played out yeah. very, very similar to what was in Back to Earth, so they obviously pinched that bit for this. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Lister's radioing in and says, basically, she's gone a bit nuts and they're coming back. And she uses the laser beams to shoot the walkie-talkie out of um, the hand and talks to Rimmer and just basically says, you know, I'm coming for you. Yeah. Well, she manages to say hello without moving her lips from start. <laughs> well, she's she's... If she can fire laser bolts, she can talk telepathically. <laughs> I'd, I'd have been more impressed if she'd have said, got all gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she's talking to Rimmer, as I said, and the console just next to him just kind of fizzes. So we assume it's just been blown up or infected or whatever. Anyway, so they all come back on the Starbug and they send Rimmer back in the pod. And it looks very similar to the pod from last week. Well, it almost looks like the same shot. So I can only assume, you know, when we were saying that they sent back Crichton's hand, it must just be a very small ore pod, which is about a foot across, if that. Well, I don't know. The, I'm sure they called it in this episode an escape pod. Okay. And I was wondering if escape pods and ore sample pods are the same thing or just a similar design or what have you. Um, and presumably, if it's an escape pod, it must be large enough to actually fit people in. Um, yeah, you'd think so, and at least comfortably. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know about that. It's um, we get no scale or anything with it, do we? Yeah, true. The next scene starts, and the three are looking round for Langstrom. Three this is yeah. This is where she like projects her eyes over the top of them talking, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like sort of listens in. Yeah, well, is that a part of her power? Is that is that X vision? Uh, it could be, yeah. I mean, they're discussing the hex vision and Crichton does his Crichton thing and explains that Langstrom was in the status pod as she was preventing whatever life she had left um, as their hex vision drained the life force from her. But this is goes back to what we were saying earlier. If she's a hologram, she doesn't essentially have life force or not life force could, that could be maintained in a stasis pod. 
I don't know, because you yeah, see, like, there's an argument to say that um, holograms can have heart attacks too. You know, right back in series one, uh, series one and series two. Um, okay, yeah. You know, you got to have the hologrammatic exercises for the dead. You know, and it got to look after his hologram body because it can have heart attacks. It can suffer ill health. Um, we, it gets proved in next series that. Um, they can get fat and bold. Uh, we know from Back to Earth that they can age and lose hair and become older. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a funny one. Okay, yeah, that's fair again. Yeah, anyway, uh, they're looking around for Langstrom, and Langstrom finds them. Her eyes light up, and she's just about to blast them, and all of a sudden she just kind of disappears in a puff of, well, digital smoke, I guess. <laughs> Is Langstrom a hard light hologram? I didn't think so. Well, I wouldn't have thought so, otherwise they wouldn't have been able to use a Rimmer to run. Well, her. I'm just thinking at one point, if you look closely at one point, she seems to hold on to a fence as she's going around looking for him. Oh, okay. It just, I thought, well, either she's hard light or it's a bit of a continuity error. Yeah, but we know how many problems we've had with holograms so far, to be honest. So. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe hard light holograms can go in stasis. Uh, that would work if she was hard light. But surely if they knew she was hard light, they'd have tried to suss out how to get it to work. Yeah, true. Hmm. Anyway. Well, they didn't have very much chance though, did they? <laughs> well, <laughs> true. The next scene starts and Crichton explains about the positive viruses. And he's come back with the inspiration, the charisma, the sexual magnetism, and Felicitas Populi, which is better known as Luck. This is where he injects Lister with it. Yeah. He uses a hypodermic gun. Uh, I, I I think it's in this scene, although it might be the later one in the quarantine room, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the hypodermic gun, it's one second it's in his hand. And then next camera shot, it's gone. It's vanished. It's nowhere to be seen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, same, same with Lister's hat. He's got his hat in his hand and that also vanishes. Uh, I'm sure it was on this scene, but it might have been the later injection of it. Right, okay. I wonder what happened if he took all the stuff at once. Like one big injection. What, of just pure luck? That, pure luck, a lucky, pure charisma, <laughs> pure, you know, everything. A, a, a lucky, inspirational sex magnet. Yeah. <laughs> On a ship full of... Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound something I want to see, to be honest. <laughs> one cat and one dried. That's a funny mix-up. <laughs> yeah, no. <not> nice. <laughs> I'll be saying, <laughs> one human, one cat, one droid, and one cup. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> nice. Um anyway, let's let's test out the luck virus by trying to pick out all the aces from a pack of playing cards. And he goes through and he pulls out the first one, second one, third one, and fourth one. And as he's going through, Crichton is listing the odds of him pulling those out. Yeah, but it, it's the dodgiest shuffle you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he pulls them all off uh I can't remember if he pulls them off the top or the bottom, but all the cards seem to be together. And I was just thinking when I was watching it, I thought, well, if Penn and Teller wouldn't have got far in their career if they'd been as bad as that. You know, it's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's the worst. If if he, if he were in a Western, he'd have ended up with a, you know, somebody's six-shooter pointed at his head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crying wants him to try something else. And he says, right, there's a dart. 
with your left hand, not looking, try and hit the bullseye uh, with its dart. So he turns around and throws it, and he finds out that the look virus actually worn off because it's stuck in the back of Crichton's head. <laughs> now, <laughs> nice. now this this is like when we watch Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, this is funniest thing ever for Amanda, my wife. Now, <laughs> when we watch it on Red Dwarf, it's not funny. <laughs> I can't understand that. <laughs> I mean, with this, I think the look that little injection that he takes, look virus seems to last what maybe thirty seconds, a minute at most. Yeah, yeah um, not which, very. Long. No, Hollis says the the car access the landing bay. Uh, Rimmer is put into override because they're, they're heading back for Red Dwarf. Now, this is what threw me slightly. If Hollis saying that Rimmer's overridden it, Rimmer is still a hologram. So the only way we would be able to do it is if it was voice interaction. How has he managed to override Holly? Scutters. Possibly, but he'd have to know exactly what he was doing to be able to override Holly. And let's be, let's be honest, he's only a second technician. Scutters and an instruction manual. <laughs> right. <laughs> but again, wouldn't Holly have control over the scutters? I don't think anybody controls them scooters, do they? <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> so the question is here, though, where is Holly now? Because you see her on the ship. Yeah. And then when you when they're in quarantine like this, when they're in the, uh, in the cell sort of thing, yeah, you don't see Holly now. So, like, do you see her near the end? She's gone. Yeah. She should have full control of her river's body, what he wears, over, like, oxygen in the room. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. I don't understand that. Now you, see, now you see Norman Levette's Holly would never have stood for this. I always love Norman's Holly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Very Back in chess player. <laughs> um, Holly wants them to go to Bay 47, uh, which is the quarantine area. And Rimmer comes on the screen and says, Space Call 595 suggests that they have to go into quarantine because they've been in contact with another life form and they've got to go there for three months. Well, what's interesting here is it mentions on the DVD inlay card that Bay 47 is also the same car, bar- car parking bay number that Lister's alter ego, Sebastian Doyle, uses in Back to Reality. Oh, okay. And it basically just says coincidence, you know, and that's it it doesn't say what the relevance is of bay 47 uh it might just be a coincidence you know yeah okay but yeah just uh it it says something to note and then doesn't tell you why it's worthy of note hmm. <laughs> maybe it's like the whole 42 everybody knows the number 42 and being the answer well, to the universe and everything yeah it's 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 the answer to life plus five ah maybe there was five. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm wondering if um, it's, it's going to be like Lost now. We're going to start looking for relevant numbers that repeat themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Anyway, they land in the bay. They uh, put through into quarantine and they go into room 152 and they've got to spend three months in there. What did you reckon to Crichton's um, designer triangular handbag thing that he's got around his waist? Can't remember it. <laughs> um... It's got, it's a triangle, you watch it again, it looks like some sort of Gucci-designed triangular handbag thing. Oh, uh, right. Presumably, okay, yeah. it's holding the size scan, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a very feminine-looking, posh <laughs> handbag design. It, it, I don't know what they were thinking when they actually came up with that design, but yeah. Maybe that was one of the first man bags. Maybe that's, that's what started <laughs> the revolution. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they're all in this single room. 
and as Lister is the only registered member, then they only needed single accommodation. However, in the other episode, the Inquisitor one, we mentioned that Crichton was down as crew member additional 001. So that would suggest that he is an official crew member, so there should at least be two sleeping quarters in here. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, if he's a non-crew member, yeah. he wouldn't have a security door access code. That's correct, Like yeah. Crichton did in the last episode yeah. in Inquisitor. And, you know, Cat as well. You know, we've said back then that uh, surely Cat was, is an additional crew member as well. Yeah. So, yeah, he's... Uh, it's it's a it's a funny one, Matt. I, I think they could have argued the toss a bit and you know got what they got got at least uh, an extra bed yeah. or two. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean the inlay card as well. If you look at the set, uh, the Inglard ca- inlay card says that um, it's basically the bunk room set yeah. that's been redressed. Right. Uh, which when you when you look at it, it obviously is. You know, you've got that circular. Uh, I don't know what it is, like a clock design type thing above the shower room door and what have yeah, you they're yeah. all in there and they, they, what they basically said is logically all of the red dwarf bunk rooms including the quarantine room would all look similar yeah which is fair enough um but there's a panel that reads quarantine suite 152 um just above the bed that's right yeah. and if you look that's actually been placed there to hide the top bunk from view because it's got to be a single bed bunk room yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, behind behind that panel, there's another bed if they want it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, Rimmer goes on about the nutrition, and he says, "Right, well, every meal I've got lined up for you is sprouts. So sprouts for breakfast, sprouts for lunch, sprouts for tea, and even sprout crumble." Yeah, it feels sick that. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine? I mean, sprouts are okay occasionally, like Christmas time. But can you imagine those with nice sugar and stuff over the top of them? That would be disgusting. Oh, sprouts and custard. Ugh. I bet I've had worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Lister says, he says, right, we've just got to stick together, lads. We're not going to let Rimmer get to us. We're the boys from the dwarf. And again, we get the whole boys from the dwarf, the old shaky hands thing, which, <laughs> I don't know, it's something that sticks. Even people now do the boys from the dwarf. I, I, I don't know if normal people do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> people that I know and speak to. <laughs> me in too. the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They've got it perfectly in time with me and everything. <laughs> yeah. The next scene starts and it's them in the quarantine room and basically five days have passed lister's got a black eye the cat's got a bust nose and he's got his arm in a sling <laughs> which if you notice true to cat form it matches his shirt that's right yeah which i wonder where they got the material from he's probably got a big cutout in the back <laughs> <laughs> i was trying to think of something witty to say i thought actually i can't think of anything <laughs> even remotely funny to say about the pattern <laughs> Crichton comes out the shower and apparently it's taken him two hours to beat his uh, to panel beat his head back to ship. So the mustard just had an absolute brawl in there. But why does he panel beat his head into shape in the shower? You know, is there is there like a panel beater's <laughs> workshop in there? <laughs> there could have been, yeah. Or he's just been slamming his head in the door or something. <laughs> I've mentioned on there we assume it's five days that passed, but it does actually mention later that it is actually five days that have passed. Well, you've got Cat and Crichton start having another fallout, and they they face off against each other, actually touching foreheads. Yeah, 
And if you look closely, I mean, the the point this out on the commentary, there's a great big dark makeup smudge on Crichton's forehead, which <laughs> okay. uh, a couple of camera shots later vanishes again. But there's a definite great big brown blotch on the middle of his forehead where him and Cat have, you know, just touched heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, the bit that they're going on about, Lister that's calling him Tetchy and Crichton saying, yeah. uh, you, you know how much I don't like that word. And it's like, what? Tetchy? <laughs> Just really getting on each other's nerves. This, I, I, I don't think this is actually char- true to character for Crichton. No, no. You know, I, I can see the other two falling out and I can see him getting fed up with Crichton's eternal optimism, but I can't see him actually turning Tetchy the way he does. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the other thing that made me laugh is he, he writes Tetchy on that big whiteboard. That's right, yeah. And it says it says it's a multi-purpose graph board. Yeah, that's, that's what it says up in the top corner. What if you're in quarantine? What do you need a multi-purpose white graph board for? Maybe you make like a little graph of how long you've been in there, and you can just tick it off. <laughs> maybe it's just something yeah. to pass the time. Knots and crosses, maybe. Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but there again, if it was only single accommodation, it'd be a very boring game of noughts and crosses. <laughs> you did win. Oh, one, thing I, one thing I didn't get on this, like in the back corner yeah. of the the quarantine cell, there's a door, which must be like where you know you keep your gear. Yeah. It's got a radioactive on it. So we're not going to keep radioactive materials inside a quarantine area. A quarantine area. area where you've got to sit for three months, yeah. Yeah, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> it's meant to be like decontaminating, not you know what I mean, radiated in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, Crichton comes up with the plan. He says, "Ah, actually, um, five days have passed. Um, Space Corps Directive six nine nine. He says they're entitled to a rescreening." Now, again, does this seem true to form for a quarantine room to you? Um, if you can prove or disprove an infection with a simple screening, why didn't they get a screening when they first arrived? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Quarantine is basically you are supposed to stop in quarantine for X amount of months until they deem you, you know, Clean, yeah, you yeah. are not infected with anything. Um, and yeah, if if they can just sort it out with the screening, then they shouldn't be in quarantine in the first place. Just surely a screen would have said, no, you're all clear, in you get. Yeah, yeah, I get. Unless it, it, he's just giving them five days for something to manifest. I don't know. Which then makes a mockery of the whole three month thing, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, um, Rimmer appears at the window and the light just kind of comes on. And he's there wearing the red and white check ginster dress and army boots. He's got his hair in the pigtails and everything. And basically, he's lost it. He's become infected. Well, I've, I was reading about this on uh, TV.com. Yeah. And there's a three-minute segment of this scene that took 57 minutes to film. And it was real cause for concern for Rob and Doug because uh, they'd only booked the studio for two and a half hours. Oh, right. Um, it, apparently, there, were, there was up against... This was one of the low-cost episodes. And so it was a case of get in, get it all filmed. It's pretty much straightforward dialogue, blah, blah, blah. And like I say, according to TV.com, it's a three-minute section that took uh, 57 minutes to film. Oh, right. Um, but when you watch, listen to the commentary, um, you've got the Techy conversation, um, and the actors all turn around and say, well, this bit here, it ran so smoothly, we managed to get all this done in one take. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's... it's um, 
it looks like some of it went perfect and some of it was just a real pain for Rob and Doug. And if you watch carefully, um, it's from the moment when Rimmer arrives, yeah, there's um, there's barely a camera shot change that doesn't have the crew moving out of position from the previous shot. Yeah, yeah. And it just shows how many retakes had to be taken. Um, you know, why Rob and Doug hated filming this scene so much. Yeah. You know, it's... It's uh, yeah, it was a, a bit of a thorn in the side for him. Right. Okay. When Crichton's suggesting that yes, they should get a rescreening. This this is the whole section where he talks about the king of the potato people and how he won't let them out. So they're trying to plead with his insanity. Kind of, he's, he's saying, "Ah, oh, the king of the potato people. Do you have a flying carpet?" And Lister's like, "Yeah, yeah, we've got a flying carpet." So, so let me get this right. You want to fly on a magic carpet, see the king of the potato people, and plead for his freedom. And you're telling me that you're completely insane? (laughs) (laughs) And then he suggests that this warrants two hours W-O-O, which we find out is without oxygen. This is again, where's Holly? Yeah, where's Holly? She has control over all these systems. Yeah, and in in theory, she could just turn Rimmer off. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They suggest that the without oxygen they've got about seven minutes of air left so they use the lug virus crack the code and they're out of there but sorry just think about this if if they open the room and they've got no oxygen in there then surely it's going to create a vacuum so they're not going to be able to get out there anyway or it make a nice hissing noise as the door opened yeah yeah but anyway sorry overanalyzing <laughs> it makes me laugh when they crack the code because it looks like list is just randomly hitting buttons yeah yeah and it's, it, it looks like the code is something along the lines of one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> Don't really need to look virus for that. Well, every button's next to each other. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty straightforward one. Yeah, quite lucky, really. I suppose. Well, yeah. <laughs> lucky, you've got the look virus inside him. So anyway, they were out of there, and the plan heading for the hologram projection room to switch Rimmer off. However, Rimmer finds them. He kind of pops his head around the corner. And it's the first time you see Mr. Flibble on his hand, which, to be honest, this is absolute marketing genius. A little hand puppet, very saleable, and just a fantastic little puppet. Well, according to the commentary, the Flibble puppet was actually just a temporary prop that was made for the rehearsals. Okay. And they tried out a, a variety of puppets, but all of them were dre- re, you know rejected. Yeah. And actually, Mister Flibble won out for the main part. His oh, the his rehearsals part. slash auditions were better. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I have a question: How come uh, Mister Flibble's got a northern accent, and then later on it's more of a a New York accent? Did they really pick that up? It, it, it's Mister Flibble. All right, it could be anything he wants it to be. Yeah. You know, like we embrace the paradox, embrace the flibble. <laughs> anyway, Rimmer tries to fry them with his hex vision, which he's now got. So, again, they run for it, they leg it. Crichton suggests that he would be capable of telepathy and possibly even telekinesis, like Langstrom did. But I don't know if this is from a cut scene or something, but I don't think Langstrom had either telekinesis or telepathy unless unless that's um, what she did earlier you know when you said she said hello without actually moving her lips she she had the telekinesis because she made the radio float up in front of her i was waiting for her to grab it so i can say ah oh, look hologram she's touching the radio ah right but yeah. she didn't she made she used <laughs> telekinesis to make that float up in front of her right okay so she probably had the telepathy or is how she said a hello without moving her lips 
Telepathy is probably that's, where she uses her eyes called, to watch called, them. Darren, that's called ventriloquism. Uh, right. That's, that, <laughs> now, now you see, Rimmer's got that. <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, Rimmer, Rimmer kind of gets his fire axe out of the little fire axe holder and then throws it into Crichton's back. And then Crichton basically loses the plot and kind of goes stomping around, smashing his head against the wall and everything. He then cuts down a Which, duck. I was just going to say, this bit where Crichton starts uh, stumbling about and whacking his head on the wall. Yeah. All right, I can remember watching that and absolutely loving it and thinking it was hilarious. Yeah. And yeah. then watching it this time around and thinking... Uh, actually, I prefer it when he doesn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, it's, it's a sign of how miserable I'm becoming as I get older. It really is. I, I, there's certain things, that, I still love him to bits, but there's certain bits where I think, eh, yeah, not really fussed about that bit. Yeah. <laughs> not like I used to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there again, you're still not smoking, so. Uh, it's not bothering me now. <laughs> but not affecting your reviews or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Tailing through gritted, gritted teeth. <laughs> yeah. Rimmer manages to cut down a door with his hex vision. Um, and just like a very impressive hex vision. So he must be using the majority of, of his power to do this. Because it's like he's got like a laser cutter and just cuts it down in seconds. Crichton suggests that they use the look virus again. And they need... So they're walking backwards down the corridor. And he says, right, we need a, a remote link to the hologram disk projection system. And Lister trips over the box and says, ah, like this. He says, yeah, perfect. He says, right, we need an hexagonal power transfer adapter capable of holding a spike of up to 5 million volts. And he's like, ah, what, like this? <laughs> and he says, right, mm-hmm. just one more thing. We need a B47 slash 7RF resistor. And he says, aha, one of these. <laughs> and he says, ah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> now, on this, I mean, this is, I don't believe he's had another jab of the luck virus since they broke out and they went running and they hiding from Rimmer. So this one seems to have lasted a good five, ten minutes, where the other one, it seemed to have the same amount of jab, and that lasted about a minute. Unless it did actually been... specify it was going to be an extra big dose. Oh, they, they did That's specify an, that? An, yeah, it says, it's, oh, we'll have to give you an extra big dose. Ah, right. I think they do, I think most of the vial goes into his neck. I think when they did the tester, there's only a small piece of the vial. Right, okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's the fluid disappears. Uh, maybe, I might be wrong on that. I seem it seems I seem to be able to picture it in my mind a small bit bit of the fluid going into his neck and then the next time they use it most of the fluid. Right. Okay. Anyway, Crichton uses all the bits that they've got, puts them all together, and manages to purge the virus out of Rimmer. And he drops out of his dress and he goes back into his normal uniform, and that's it. They put him away in quarantine. The final scene starts and Rimmer work wakes up and he's kind of strapped to this bed. Now, I can only assume this is the same bed from the Holoship and they've just strapped him to it. Otherwise, it just falls straight through it. And he's kind of waking up and says, oh, where am I? What's, what's wrong with me? And they explain that he's in um, quarantine. And then all of a sudden the light <laughs> comes on like before and the other three. And the, <laughs> it's the look of glee on Kat's face. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but we're here to entertain you, and he's just so into it. He just loves winding the rimmer up. <laughs> yeah, uh, so the all three of them are sat there in the nice gingham dresses, and that's the end of the episode. Right, the next section's the scores. Right, me personally, I thought this was 
it was a good story. It was a brilliant idea. I mean, there were a few flaws in it. Should say maybe a few uncertainties. The hex vision, Mr. Flamel, and also the dress and the whole King of the Potato People are just very, very memorable things. It's one of those things that if if you see somebody in one of these dresses, you instantly think of Red Dwarf or Lywood, or you see a flibble and you think, ah, oh, that's, that's Red Dwarf. So yeah, for me, seven out of 10. Uh, very good. What about you, Anthony? Um, I've gone straight in for a nine out of 10. I was going to go okay. for a 10 and then I thought, well, it, it maybe doesn't quite warrant that. Um, so yeah, I've, I've gone for a nine and I love this. It's a Rimmer heavy episode. Um, we love the Rimmer episodes, yeah. but it's not a rehashing of old ideas that we've seen before. This is Chris Barry playing Rimmer, um, playing him as a mental, basically. You yeah, know, sure. he's playing him in a way that we've not seen him played before and absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this one. Nine out of ten for me. Excellent. And finally, Andy? Eight out of ten for myself. Okay. A uh, very good episode. I think uh, they all played very good parts in this. It made me laugh quite a bit. Uh, this is one of them episodes that you always remember, especially like the hand puppet. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, yeah, very good. Eight out of ten. Excellent. So that's seven, nine, eight. That's um, 80%. Right, well, that's the episode review over. The next section is what's going down in Groovestown after a, a little advert from our friends over at the Suckcast. What's happening? This is Herman. And I'm the man guy. And we listen to the Scuttercast constantly. When we're not... Recording our own podcast. And being perverted and watching movies, we listen to the Scuttercast. Suckcast. Red Dwarf. Forums. British. Ah. <laughs> All right, dudes. What's going down in Groovetown, then? Right, Groovetown. We've got um, a little thing from the BBC, but I'll just let Anthony say his bit first. Not a lot. Not massive news. We've got um, the official website is reporting um, about Danny John Jules, who has taken part in the Iron Butts charity motorbike ride. Oh, right. Um, it's a six and a half thousand mile approximately bicycle motorbike ride uh, circumnavigating the Mediterranean Sea in 15 days. Right, okay. And it's, it's, it's all in aid of sport relief, and there's a blog that tells of his adventures, and this can be found at, uh, there's no www, it's just ironbutts, butts is spelled with double T, yeah. dot blogspot.com. And the link will be in the show notes, which I'll get done on the Monday. Um, so there's that. Excellent. And uh, we've got another guest confirmed for the uh, Dimension Jump. Uh, we've already had uh, Chris Barry, Danny John Jules, and Robert Llewellyn confirmed. Yeah. Um, the uh, the other guest we've got is John Glover. Oh, okay. Um, now this is the guy that appears as the customer in the Back to Earth cost cutter scene, the the one that's talking to the um, salesman in the TV department yeah, uh, yeah. as the dwarfers arrive. Um, now I probably know him best, uh, f- uh, you know, from uh, Harry Enfield. As Mr. Chumbly Warner, is it Chumbly Warner, something like that? Um, but I'll had a look on IMDb, and he's been in lots of interesting roles. It seems to specialise in either uh, comedy roles or children's TV, right, and he okay. should make a really interesting guest. You know, um, like Richard O'Callaghan um, yeah, yeah. last year who played the creator. Um, he came on and. You know, he's had a small part in Dwarf, uh, but his stories weren't about Dwarf. His stories were about the TV industry and his That's experiences right, yeah, and yeah. 
people he's worked with and he was a really really entertaining very funny guest really um, really went down well with the um, crowd with the audience at uh, the Dimension Jump and I'm pretty sure John Glover's going to go down the same way you know um, I'm, I'm fairly confident we'll get some uh, good stories uh, entertaining stories from John Glover yeah yeah we've had an email from the BBC no not telling us to stop uh, <laughs> They've asked us to promote a little thing for them. I'll read it out word for word, and then you can make from it what you want. This will also be in the show notes when Anthony puts them up on Monday. It says, we have some exciting news about the Red Dwarf YouTube competition taking place to mark the launch of the Red Dwarf Back to Earth room on iTunes on Monday the 22nd of March. Not only will prize promotions be running in the Red Dwarf room on the iTunes store for a limited time, but you could win Red Dwarf content all through accessing the Red Dwarf channel takeover on YouTube. As if that wasn't enough, the top prize will be a pair of free passes to this year's Dimension Jump conference, courtesy of the good people at the official Red Dwarf fan club. These include entry to the conference and two nights hotel stay for you and one other, all for free. Other prizes include Red Dwarf goodies and DVDs. To participate in the competition, they'd like to see impersonation of characters, classic moments and one-liners from Red Dwarf. It can be anything you like. Just shoot it, upload it to the BBC Comedy Greats channel on YouTube, which will have a Red Dwarf makeover for the duration of the competition. Get your costumes on, brush up your acting skills, and get thinking of how yours will be best to impress. The YouTube room will be launched on Monday the 22nd of April. We'll put the address in these show notes, but it's youtube.com forward slash BBC Comedy Greats. It says subscribe to the channel for information as it comes through or simply stay posted. And very simply... We've, we had a bit of a discussion, didn't we, before uh, recording about this. Yeah. And we've had a look at it. And it sounds to me, reading reading the email, the the, the site you gave us, youtube.com um, slash BBC Comedy Greats. Yeah. You go up there and there's lots of BBC classic clips playing, uh, clips from Only Fools and Horses and things like that. That's right, yeah. It, it looks as though on Monday the 22nd of April, um, Red Dwarf is going to take over. Yeah, yeah. And this, is all f- this is all for promoting Back to Earth appearing on, on iTunes. iTunes. And it also discusses uh, Red Dwarf Room on the iTunes store. That's right, yeah. So whether that's something else or whether they're getting mixed up with the YouTube page. Um, so I don't know. It's gonna. It's it's a weird one. If anybody has any more information about what this actually is, yeah. uh, let us know because we're not, we're not sure exactly what this is. Uh, but there's freebies to be won. Um, it looks like you're going to be able to upload your own recreations of classic dwarf moments, you know, classic one-liners, classic impersonations of characters, so on and so forth. Um so yeah, it's uh, now the other thing as well that confused me is the, the YouTube page BBC Comedy Greats. Yeah, it all seems to be proper BBC comedies. So it's it's Red Dwarf and it's uh, Only Fools and Horses and and things like that. Yeah. Now the only thing that throws me about this is it's to promote Back to Earth. That's right. Which, yeah. Although although it's. Um, I know it is BBC Worldwide part owned, Dave. It is actually a different company altogether to the BBC that had series one through to eight. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a very... I'm, I'm not sure exactly what this is. It's uh, it, No doubt it'll be surfacing on it in a day or two. In fact, by the time this comes out, it might already be up on the official uh, website. Yeah. 
so yeah, uh, keep an eye out for this, and um, you know, get 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 something recorded ready for an immediate upload. Yeah, exactly. Um, but by the looks of this, you need to be looking in two areas. You need to be looking at the iTunes for the download of Red Dwarf Pack to Earth and the YouTube site for the uploads of your own clips. That way you can win tickets for Dimension Jump and other stuff. So, yeah, everybody likes freebies, so get your entries in. Oh, just one other uh, Red Dwarf Pack news. I've had a look at the new forum members, and I'd give a big hello to Mrs. Rimmer, who's uh, she'll only be a member like a week, and she's already on 59 posts. She's really heading for that Parrot Sparrow. Uh, hurtling speed (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the parrot spa the place you can drink a curry flavored tequila slammer that burns on the way in and on the way out right parrot spa i was away last week so i can i think i mentioned like the last episode that i got to the last day on my the 30-day workout which worked really well and then I was away all last week on a training course and I started this weekend on my second workout which was the year sports active more workout um I complained about the last one I don't know if anybody actually bothered reading the blog but I complained that they just didn't do any core exercise or anything like that oh my god the the, the second one has gone totally the opposite direction I'm I'm in so much pain <laughs> I thought I was kind of fit from the last one I thought, oh, right, yeah, I'm getting a little bit of workout. But this one, it's it's got me doing, like, sit-ups and everything. It was horrible. <laughs> what, 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 real real exercises? Yeah, <laughs> none of this just fancy, like, bobbing about doing a few squats and stuff. It had me doing, like, press-ups and everything. It was horrible. <laughs> nice, no, you see, you can't go wrong. We, we fit, set it on jogging, and you just sit there, and all you've got to do is move your hand up and down. <laughs> <laughs> really? It's that jogging, is it? <laughs> Well, I'm not bad at moving my hand up now. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, what were you going to mention about your iPod? Um, Yeah, I've been accessorizing my iPod. Um, Now, you you already know I listen listen at work as I'm driving the machine to podcasts and what have you. Um, So I've got various devices to both charge my iPod and to transmit my iPod. Yeah. Um, so I can play it through the FM stereo yeah, um, yeah. in the machine, um, you, you know, using the cigarette lighter. Um, so I've, I've, I've had various cables that um, do the job, uh, you know, just one cable that does the job. Uh, but the, the, always, uh, the wire always breaks in them. So I've, I've got two identical ones, one of which charges. I've got another one which transmits but doesn't charge. Yeah. Um, and so I tried another device, that one stopped charging, um, and what have you. And normally they, they cost around about 20 quid. And I've just started, the last one I picked up was just under 20 pound. All right. Um, well, I were on eBay the other day looking, and there was one on eBay that goes into a cigarette charger and uh, the transmitter plugs into the bottom of your iPod. Yeah. And it was less than a fiver, so I thought, oh, I'll give that one a go. And it's really good. It's... Um, it's it's the tidiest. It's the smallest one I've got. That normally I've got reams of wire dangling down, and yeah, the, yeah. the machines I drive, I've got no suspension. It's uh, rough gr- terrain, so you you're bouncing about, and I've got. It's no wonder the cables don't last long. They're constantly s- smacking the, you know, the side of the cab and what have you. Yeah, and yeah. this one's just perfect. It's all, you know, any of the heavy bits that would not bang about are actually plugged directly into the iPod, so they don't do. Oh right. Okay. Um, 
something else I've bought as well. Um, I've been catching up on TV shows that I've missed. Yeah. Uh, I've been downloading them, uh, transferring them onto my iPod, and it's just catching up with them when normally, I'd, uh, if I'm doing something that I'd be getting fed up with, um, uh, if I'm washing the pots, um, I'll stick it in the window on the windowsill yeah. and play a TV show. And I've been catching up on uh, Big Bang Theory stuff like that. Yeah, if yeah. when I'm in the bath, I'll sit and watch an episode in the bath or somewhere. Right, um, okay. things like that. And um, the other day, Amanda was at work, and it I was sat watching. Um, it was the Firefly, the the movie. Ah, uh, oh, Serenity. That's the one. Yeah, I was going to say serendipity, but it isn't it. <laughs> no, I was watching. Uh, I was watching uh, Serenity, and to watch the last uh, half of it, I actually end up sat watching the watching it on my computer, which is an uncomfortable seat, and sat there, and you know, I thought, wouldn't it be nice to actually have a cable to plug this straight into my TV? Yeah, yeah. And so, for less than a fiver, I've bought an AV cable that plugs into the bottom of my iPod that will oh, plug into the TV, and you know, picture's not great. It obviously, it depends on the quality of the download. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's watchable. You know, it's a lot more comfortable. And um, I, I was watching it. Uh, I watched it for about an hour and a half the other day when Amanda was at work on Big Telly. Oh. And yeah, these all this oh, Big Telly. Yeah, <laughs> all this all this stuff. It's um, it's so expensive when you go anywhere. Uh, you know, when you get them from anywhere. But I'm picking it up cheap shipped over you know shipped over in about a week and a half from hong kong yeah i'm getting yeah. it for less than fiver yeah um, so yeah i'm well impressed with the, the things i've bought there fantastic as i mentioned earlier i was on my training course down in london it was a vb.net training course which was um broke my head to be honest there was a lot to take in in four days and um, i'm sure at some points my brain just waved a little white flag and said i've had enough i was down there and the training course was down just off city road and I was unlucky enough to have the worst hotel room ever. I was on the second floor and underneath me there was no room. It was just where they take deliveries in. And they seemed to take deliveries in all night long. (laughs) So all I had all night long were these bloody trolleys being pushed in and pulled out and this gate up and down. Oh, it was horrible. So I had a really rough night's sleep. And I think it was was Thursday morning. Um, I woke up about half six and I can hear these people shouting outside and I thought bloody noisy delivery drivers and just kind of ignored and went back to bed for a while when I finally got out of bed I opened the blind and this is bloody well there was a fire engine and a ladder right outside my bedroom window <laughs> I'm like what the hell is going on there <laughs> I looked down the street everything were corned off blue flashing lights everywhere and I'm like what the bloody hell is going on here anyway just carried on out of shower got dressed went and had some breakfast uh, went to the course which was just up the road and everyone's like oh did you manage to get here all right how was the fire I'm like what fire <laughs> and I looked on the news and apparently Half four in the morning, the building right next to us, right next to the hotel, was up in flames. Um, 20, I think there were 20 fire trucks and everything. Made front page news on everything down in London. Now, I just slept through the entire lot. So on the, on the Guardian, it actually said 100 firefighters. Um, yeah, we, I think it was. Apparently, it was 20 fire engines with over 100 firefighters. And apparently, there were massive... <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the thing that woke me up at half six, apparently, there was a massive explosion about half six. And the worst thing is, I mean, this hotel was, I mean, basically there was one thin single lane street between us and the building that was on fire and we didn't get evacuated or anything. 
So I was like, oh, great. It's <laughs> nice to yeah, know. He tried to evacuate, but you slept through it. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe, yeah. Because oh, I had the worst sleep ever. It was horrible. But, I mean, if anybody's had a look on the forum, I've Anthony will put the link in the show notes. But there's just the... Um, I took a quick buzz picture from my uh, phone. So the quality's not that great, but you can see just straight outside my window is a bloody ladder. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> that's, how, that's, that's how I found it was happening myself. I, would, I were on buzz on latitude and there, there's a guy there saying I could smell smoke I wonder what's going on and then about half an hour 40 minutes later you actually posted a picture of some fire yeah like, wow <laughs> well, yeah. I was going to say about half an hour later I got the message ah <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit warm <laughs> but I tell you obviously the fire was there it was put out and everything but when I went back to the hotel on the evening oh, the place stunk you know when you've been out to like um, a bonfire or something the entire hotel just smelt of that, or my clothes smelt of it. It was just like, ah. This week's podcast of the week is the Moth Podcast. And just over to Anthony, tell us a little bit more. Yeah, uh, the Moth Podcast is, um, the Moth is basically a, a not-for-profit storytelling organisation uh, that was founded in New York in 1997, by poet and novelist George Dawes Green. Okay. Um, and basically, it's it's it started out with him uh, inviting people for storytelling in his New York apartment, and word of mouth it caused it to spread to you know, uh, and it became attended by more and more people to larger and larger venues, and I think they've now been attended by over a hundred thousand people. Oh, wow. Uh, like I say, this is all word of mouth. There's never been any advertising. Um, show tickets are typically snapped up within 48 hours of release. Yeah. Uh, most of these stories are true stories and anecdotes performed by uh, writers, uh, members of the press, uh, other interesting people, academics, uh, that sort of thing. Right. Okay. And it, 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 somebody recommended it to me, and it's like uh, when they described it to me, I thought, well... You know, it doesn't sound like my sort of thing. And so, but I, you know what I'm like. I gave it a listen. And I really, really enjoyed the stories. Some of them are absolutely hilarious. And they're all performed in front of a live audience. And uh, they last between five minutes and 20 minutes uh, coming out on a weekly basis. Yeah. But yeah, if you're looking for something that's just a bit different uh, from other things that's out there, um, like I say, they're just simple little anecdotes or stories from people's childhood or um, uh, there was one, it was a, a, a disabled uh, writer and she was telling about her first um, romantic uh, incident in her life that she had and what have you. And yeah, it was just really, uh, I, I find it really entertaining. It, it, it normally makes me laugh. Uh, it can be found on iTunes if you search for The Moth Podcast. Okay. Uh, alternatively, if you go to www.themoth.org forward slash podcast. Right. And okay. you'll get it on uh, there. Perfect. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for this week. If you want to come and join us on the forum, it's reddwarfforum.com. If you want to find us on Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash reddwarfforum. And if you want to drop us an email, it's scuttercast at reddwarfforum.com. We'll be back in two weeks' time with the episode Demons and Angels. So until then, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.